0: Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. As war in the Ukraine rages on and gas and food prices soar globally, it's instructive to look back at how the world finds itself on the brink, if not at the beginning of World War III. War is always about getting control. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger once said, Control oil and you control nations. Control food and you control people. My guest today calls herself, quote, a pipeline tracker, unquote. Attorney, author, and investigative journalist Charlotte Dennett has spent decades studying the history of pipelines around the world as arteries for the distribution of oil and gas, the lifeblood of economies. She's also studied the constant conflicts surrounding them. But this war, says Dennett, could be the mother of them all. In this interview, she lays out the history of pipeline conflicts and the ruling elites' agendas behind them. Welcome, Charlotte. Hi. You have just written an article called Nukes, Pipelines, and the War in Ukraine. So let's start with that. Talk about the contents of that article and why you were inspired to write it right
1: now. I've been following events in Ukraine because I am a pipeline tracker. Um, I I wrote a book um, that has come out in paperback called Follow the Pipelines. Here it is. I have traced back to 1944, tracking pipelines all over the Middle East, uh, then into Central Asia and Afghanistan, and now we're in in the Ukraine. And the reason I followed the pipelines is because I I discovered um, early on in in tracking the Trans-Arabian pipeline that was being built right after World War II and was gonna take Saudi oil to Europe via this pipeline and uh, with a terminal point in either, guess where, Lebanon or Palestine. So the reason I was looking into that because my father's last mission as America's first master spy in the Middle East was to chart the route of the pipeline. And he never made it home from that secret mission. He died in a plane crash. So, and I was just an infant, but for years I've been investigating uh, both the causes of the crash and then learning the overall context around the uh, crash. And that's when I got to realize that um, pipelines have a lot to do with conflict. Because, you know, once you once you get oil uh, in the ground, you got to get it out and you got to ship it. Well, it's through pipelines. But what are the safe pipelines? Now, bringing it up to the, I can elaborate on that, but bringing it up to Ukraine, I've been following the uh, fluctuating fortunes of the Nord Stream pipeline that um, was finally completed very recently. It's it's been through years of uh, controversy, just as the Trans-Arabian pipeline was 70 years ago. And the controversy in this case is, um, it was gonna carry Russian gas to Germany. And the thing that had the United States and some of its allies very nervous is they're concerned that Europe was going to become even more dependent on Russian gas. Uh, Europe already gets 40% of its gas from uh, the Russians. So here they were building this great big, huge project. The Germans were in favor of it because it was going to bring cheap gas. And and some of the other uh, countries were also in favor of it because it was cheaper gas um, and and the U.S consistently tried to stop it levying sanctions on it on the on the people that um financed it and constructed and who, it And who financed and constructed it it's owned by the russians but uh it's actually partly uh, financed uh by some european companies and um I think it's shell oil actually and and Yeah, company Shell was a big uh, had a big involvement in it, and so it even sanctioned
0: an American oil company.
1: What they did is they didn't sanction Shell; they pressured them to drop it. Who do you think brought the pressure to bear on Shell? I mean, it would be it would be the Biden administration. Well, NATO, NATO, they bought pressure. They they pressured Germany. Germany was the last holdout because Germany uh, has, has closed up all its nuclear reactors. So they needed alternative sources of energy. So they, they were all in favor of the Nord Stream pipeline and um, Germany just got pressured to uh, drop it. And now the, the, uh, the whole thing is going bankrupt. I mean, it's just incredible. Had it gone through, then Ukraine and uh, Poland, they were opposed to the pipeline because had it gone through the uh, gas traversing those countries it's called transiting those countries they they feared they were going to lose out on transit fees like up to two billion dollars or a billion dollars uh in each country so a lot well, of the wait a times-
0: second. If the pipeline is transiting their their territory, wouldn't they
1: actually get that money? Well, they were worried that they they would not get as much or get it because the um, the other uh, the Russian pipeline Nord Stream two, um, I guess per volume was just going to be much more effective in feeding gas to an energy starved Europe. So there's this this nice map that I put in my article um, and it shows, I don't know if you can see it right here. These are all lines that traverse uh, Poland and Ukraine. Gas, those are gas pipelines. Those are gas pipelines. So the concern was that they were gonna lose out on transit because the Russians were gonna flood Europe with uh, more gas from Nord Stream. So right now, Russia is still sending the gas through those pipelines, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Given the fact that there's a war going on in Ukraine, but the last I looked, uh, it was still supplying the gas. When Biden
0: closed down access to SWIFT, to, to Russia, which is how, of course, the US dollar is how most oil and gas transactions are done. Um, They made an exception for Germany and and Europe because Germany was like, what? Germany cannot live without Russia's gas. And so an exception was quietly made
1: for Germany to pay, to be able to pay Russia in dollars i'm calling this the mother of all energy wars that have been going on for decades i my book documents as no other book has how how these um pipelines oil and gas pipelines have been at the root of all these endless wars in the middle east and what we're dealing with right now is um what i call the great game for oil and it's oil and gas. Well, who is going after what here in this war? I
0: mean, we have to look at, you know, who helped make this war happen and then uh, why in terms of the context that you're describing.
1: Fair. Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting has done a couple of really good background pieces that show you the whole history of what led up uh, to this standoff between these two great powers. Uh, and um, briefly, most people go back to 2014. This was the time, of course, when uh, Putin seized Crimea. And you and often you'll find in the press, that's the starting point for their description that, that he, had, he had moved his forces in illegally seizing Crimea and he's an aggressive imperialist and all, and all that stuff. But there, you have to go back even even farther before then. And you, you find that um, there was a lot of effort on the part of the US and, and, and NATO uh, to wean Ukraine off of its dependence on these Russian pipelines that transited through it. And you go back even farther into the 1990s uh, early 1990s, the, the dissolution of the uh, Soviet Union. And at that time, there was a deal struck that um, the US and the NATO countries would not advance eastward uh, toward Russia. Because- Oh
0: yeah, Russia, NATO, yes, they,
1: they said Russia they would not do it, that. Yeah, Russia saw its uh, wanted territorial integrity on its part and it wanted security for its borders. And what happened is uh, that uh, NATO and the US broke the agreement. They just went ahead and started pushing forward and militarizing and pouring in military supplies, not only to Ukraine, but all the Eastern European countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union. What I found out very recently, and this totally blew my mind, everyone who has read a lot on the subject Uh, and doesn't necessarily want to accept the official U.S.-NATO explanation because that's all we hear, you know, looking for two sides of the story. Well, a lot of people are centering in on the famous uh, conversation between Victoria Nuland, who who was uh, with the State Department and another uh, State Department official over, um, they're looking towards having a regime change. And one of their phone calls was overheard, uh, where they're talking about who they're going to put in place of the uh, pro-Russian uh, democratically elected leader, and and so this is a huge embarrassment to the United States. This now, phone wh- what call. year was this? What year this was This, 2014. this okay. Was two thousand fourteen? This was immediately before the uh, the uh, regime change it's called Maidan, M-A-I-D-A-N, rebellion, uh, against the, the, the pro-Soviet ruler. And and they were instrumental in bringing on this coup. Now, the, the fact of the matter is that that doesn't get talked about very much, very seldom in the Western press. But what, what I was saying, what this really blew my mind recently. Do you know who Victoria Newland is? Well, yeah, right now she's... Um... Six. She works for Biden, yeah.
0: Right, yeah. 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 I She's forget neo- what her title is. Yes. She's a
1: neocon. Yeah. Her yeah. husband is Robert Kovac, one of the creators of the uh, PNAC, uh, the project for a new American century that was concocted by the neocons before Bush even, George W. Bush even got into power. And what was the new American century? it was American domination over Europe, Eurasia, Middle East. Full I mean, spectrum this... dominance of the globe, basically. Oh yeah, you could call it that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I had not realized. So here again is a sort of wedding of the of neocon and neoliberal uh, cold warriors and uh, hence what it has brought to, do brought us to is this incredibly dangerous war in ukraine and as as i write in my piece it's very dangerous because of all the nuclear power plants that exist in ukraine uh and uh two of them in particular one way up in the north that's chernobyl which uh we all know about what happened to chernobyl and um the fact that the russians had moved in troops to um to protect it, but in the American press initially, it was Russian troops attacked it, and then the same thing with the big power plant in in the south, whose name I cannot pronounce, but uh, it's on the map in my article, um, and it's the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. It's got, I think it's got six reactors in it. The biggest plants in the United States have three reactors.
0: Yeah, but Charlotte, you don't think that Russia would be dumb enough to try and blow that up. I mean, if that would be like oh. blowing themselves up, you know? Like, yeah, well, you know, when you say, oh, they're gonna bomb the nuclear plants. And I keep thinking to myself, if they do that, they might as well, you know, shove that bomb right in their left ear. Because exactly. the wind is gonna blow and
1: yeah. it's gonna affect them too. And in fact, I, think I wrote in my piece, why would they do that and just incur more outrage on the part of the world community, apart from that, I mean, some people say they don't care because they're already getting outraged in the world. But the fact is, um, what I found out is that the reason for uh, having that that fire, uh, firefight outside of the huge plant uh, it, it wasn't aimed directly at the plant. It was, it hit an administrative building and it allowed the Russians to come in and secure the plant. Now, why is that important? Right-wing radical groups uh, are particularly strong in that area. And there was concern that they would have to secure the plant from them because they've been engaging in a lot of the major um, uh, uh actions against the Russians, both, both in the Eastern provinces. And right now they're training uh, Ukrainians to defend themselves. And what you find out if you really start probing is that uh, some of them are, they are in fact, neo, neo-Nazis. And I mean, there was this, uh, there was this TV show, a uh, picture of the, the granny. They're gonna arm little granny. <laughs> And the people who okay. were army army branny were neo-Nazi. So in in the United States, they don't they sort of um, deprecate this concept that, that that Russia is going in after the neo-Nazis. Oh, poo-poo! It can't be that because Zelensky is Jewish, so it can't be true. But the fact is, there are neo-fascists. That have moved into the Ukrainian military, and um, and and so they have some influence in his government as well. So that wow. that's why I that's why I say context is very important. Before the war
0: started, was Zelensky hostile to Putin?
1: You know, I can't answer that. I don't know. Um, he just it's kind of he just came. Came up out of the blue. It's almost like Obama. <laughs> you know, nobody yeah. knew about Obama. Well, suddenly you got this former comedian who played a president. Suddenly he becomes the president of Ukraine. Zelensky has strong ties to Israel because he's Jewish. Right. And uh, and and by the way, what is the possibility of this whole thing expanding into a world war? Now you're going to start bringing in some of these Middle Eastern countries. You've got. Some of the Gulf countries that have you know, forged new alliances with Israel, uh, like the United Arab Emirates, and I believe Qatar, um, mind you what the US is doing now because they claim they've got to do something. They can't just let Ukraine hang out to dry, right? They've got it. So they, they're pushing lots of arms in there. I find it so
0: absurd when they say, oh, the United States isn't getting involved. We're sending arms over there,
1: we're sending, but no, we're not in, yeah, you are. Yeah, you're you're in there. In in fact, it's become a complicating factor because uh, the Biden administration finally succumbed and said that they're going to um, allow Poland to send its uh, Russian-made fighter planes into Ukraine. So they finally have some fighter planes, but. The problem is that um, suddenly uh, the U.S. has reneged on that. And the reason is because, you know, Poland's getting a little nervous here, like, well, what if Biden says that's an act of war? Then they're going to come after us. You know, it's just such a hideous story of uh, taking advantage of the Ukrainian people. All Uh,
0: these people making these decisions like the NATO trying to surround uh, Russia, you know, NATO's leaders trying to surround Russia uh, and, and and you know, all these other countries that support this, supported this activity, all the countries collectively, uh, you know, they make these decisions from their comfy offices and everything. But not one of them has their own physical butt on the line when when the uh, when the clashes start, and I wish people would think more about that. Yeah, I really do. I really think that if you are part of the decision making process that uh, kills people, kills innocent civilians, you know what? You get your butt over there to that war zone, and you know you get involved the the way you're asking people to put their lives on the line. It's just, I, I know it's. This sounds like it's coming out of a you know an angry unrealistic person (laughs) you know i know how how i know how this sounds but but i really do think that if you're going to make these decisions you know you but they don't of course they're way up here and and here's the other thing about this conflict that i'm noticing because this russia-ukraine conflict besides the fact that it's inching wider and wider, Poland now getting involved and so on. And the United States is involved. Um, here right now, as we speak, you know everybody's going, oh those poor Ukrainians and this and that and it is horrific, it's grotesque. the murder of these people. Yeah. Um, but you know, gas here, seven dollars $7 a gallon, yeah. In LA, over here, it's inching up to $5 a gallon. Food prices are already off the charts. Rock, rock. They're gonna go even further rock, off rock, the charts. So this war, this war is affecting everybody globally. And that that brings to mind a quote of Henry Kissinger's that I recently became aware of where he said, he said, who controls energy
1: controls nations. Well, that's a great quote. I haven't even got that one. You gotta send it to me. (laughs) And who controls food, controls
0: the people. So now you have a conflict way out here that's controlling the energy and food here and everywhere else.
1: It's finally all come home. That's the way I look at it. You know, in in the past, uh, these, uh, these, wars between superpowers the great game as i call it uh were hidden were hit or largely hidden from view which is one reason why i wrote my, my book i wanted to blow the whole thing wide open show maps of the competing powers and um but this is unavoidable because yeah, but you know I mean, what if you're gonna fight over ukraine then it's all about natural gas and big power competition and i mean yeah uh many people say that that putin is a is a despot i think we need to look at what changes came over putin over the years um i even read a piece in the times that said just you know a year ago there was you know you could get cnn in in, uh, russia you could get some of the major networks they would allow that and then as soon as this Ukraine crisis happened, it was like psh, total censorship.
0: It puts a leader between a rock and a hard place when you're in the sights of the US. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example that I know very closely and that is, uh Sid of Haiti when he came mm-hmm. to power. He was obviously a populist. He wanted to change uh, laws so that uh, people, you know, the Haitian, Haitian people would have more uh, services and they, they would get, you know, their wages. He wanted to bring the wages up and so on and so forth. And I, a, as a member of the morally repugnant, former member of the morally repugnant elite, I mean, uh, you know, I don't have yeah. those resources anymore. But, uh, you know, I was with a uh, guy that I grew up with. He was a major scion of a one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest, families down there, industrialists. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was buying arms and he was and he was working to get Alicid out of power. No doubt about it. The elite yeah. of Haiti with the American embassy were very much a part of getting and what happened to Aristide? The minute you corner somebody like that, Ali became vicious. You know, yeah and 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 then they would and and so the press would use that oh he's vicious as that but no and and of course you know they tried to assassinate him and they finally got rid of him but you know it's a whole process so if you're cornering somebody putin Putin, he's cornered and they've been working towards it and he's seen he's been seeing this and let's be clear russia is like a one of the world's biggest energy stations. They have oil, they have gas. They're one of the biggest producers of coal. And the other thing is they're one of the biggest producers of wheat.
1: Yeah. So is uh, Ukraine.
0: Followed by Ukraine. Yeah. So this war, if you take a a even higher overview, this war is going to put a lot of people, people, he who controls people, is gonna put a lot of people in trouble for food as well. So yes. if, if, there is, if there are overlords beyond the political leaders, okay, who would want to control the globe, this is a perfect little entryway, I feel.
1: Well, the thing that caught me, going back to when I said the neoconservatives is that this woman Noland, who pulled off the coup that got rid of the uh, the the Russian ruler in in uh, Ukraine? Corrupt as he may have been, he was he was elected. Uh, she worked for Dick Cheney. Oh, that sounds okay?
0: surprising.
1: So well, it just blew my mind because her virtues are being ex- told by liberals, you know, oh, this woman knows a lot about Ukraine. And it got me wondering, you know, yep. the, uh, oh, here's the other part. The um, the um, new American ambassador to Poland, guess who that is? Who? Oh. The, the son of oh, the big new Brzezinski. Oh, that's interesting. The whole guy that charted this whole new American century, to establish. The whole
0: new American century thing though is just a step into the globalist, the one world thing, okay? So I think if you wanna look at who's the, who the overlords of the people that we're talking about here, Biden and so on and so forth, I think you have to look at the Davos group and and those people. And the World Economic Forum are working together for this new, this great reset. But for the great reset to occur, the, first of all, the financial system has to be decimated so that it can be replaced with another system.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah,
0: well, that's, yeah, I, because I get that. There's, there's a brilliant French economist uh, named Charles Gave, Gave, Charles Gave. And he basically he says, an economy is just transformed energy. Okay?
1: Mm.
0: So if you can control an economy, country's economy, and if you can control, and and of course, if you control the food, you control people, that's it. You've got, you, you can now destroy the whole system that's in place and then put in the new system. Yeah. And the new system is the central bank, digital currency, ID, that control that controls everything, including it can control. Eventually, it'll control. It's like a, it's like the Chinese uh, social credit score thing, you know. So uh, social credit card. So I think I don't know. Tell me what you think. But I think the pipelines and the oil and so on, that as and all puns intended, has been greasing the skids. Through these endless conflicts, to where we are now—yeah, Wor- yeah. W- world war three coming at us, okay—and all of us. I don't know about you, my gas is higher, my food bill is
1: off the charts now. The only possible good thing about it is that it's finally going to get the American people to wake up—that uh, you know we're not an island; we're interconnected throughout the war. And and I think they already are. I was just talking to a a worker that was fixing my internet (laughs) and I happened to chat with him. And uh, what did he think? Oh yeah, it's about war, it's about oil. Of course, I've always thought it's about oil. Now my guess is that an awful lot of people feel that way, particularly people who don't have, you know, professional reputations to protect. You know they just see it the way it is the one thing that is still not fully explained which i chose to explain in my book is that it's not just about controlling resources you know gas that that heats our industrials and and gets into our cars it is still the fuel of war this is fundamental it is the reason why yes but why do you have wars you have wars to control resources and control economies it's totally connected like i was just reading up on the fact that india india you know india was going to benefit from the construction of the um turkmenistan afghanistan pakistan india pipeline it was nicknamed Tapi.
0: Yes. And in my
1: book, I show that this was a major contributing factor to the war in Afghanistan. I, you know, I got some good quotes from State Department people. One of them, in particular, who said, uh, "This way, with the U.S. Uh, in there in Afghanistan, the the oil was going to the energy was going to flow south, and the people who were going to protect that pipeline." For the Taliban because they were the fiercest warriors among warlords. And that had been the idea originally uh, before the U.S. invaded uh, Afghanistan. It was gonna, they were courting the Taliban. Uh, Bush brought them down to his uh, Texas White House then it went sour. Uh, it went sour because uh, the US, 9/11 happened, and the U.S. insisted that Taliban turn over Osama bin Laden, and they refused because they said, "Show us the proof that he was involved, and we'll turn him well, over." Oh, they didn't refuse. They
0: said, "We'll be happy to if you show us the proof that he was involved." Yeah, yeah, that's a better way. Very of doing
1: important it. point. Yeah, yeah, and and the U.S. wouldn't do it, so the U.S. decided to go in and smash the Taliban. But I just updated myself on the TAPI pipeline. And it turns out that uh, India, one of the, the end uh, recipients of the pipeline, still wanted it to go through. And that was the hope. Um, you know, once the US got out, uh, the uh, Taliban would take over and maybe they would control the pipeline. There were meetings with the Taliban in Turkmenistan. But they were worried because there was uh, a lot of unrest and a lot of uns- uh, uh, insecurity for the pipeline route. Enter the military. The whole point of these, a lot of these huge military uh, infusions is to protect the pipeline route. And I show the maps. There's a map on you Afghanistan. mean enter the US military to protect the yeah, uh, attack. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's oh my God. It's just incredible. It, it it, I even take it back to, to World War One In 19, I believe it was 1911, uh, Winston Churchill, who was first Lord of the Admiralty, realized he had to convert uh, the fuel uh, for the British fleet from coal to oil because oil was just more efficient and it was cheaper and it made them go faster. So in doing so, he said, we are going to have to... to to fight on on a war on a world of troubles they were going to have to fight to get oil because they didn't have any what was their first target iraq the oil of iraq which was called a first class war aim during world war I. and they succeeded in conquering iraq then the question becomes okay you got the oil but iraq is landlocked how are you going to ship it out well they decided that the best route would be a pipeline run from Kirkuk, Iraq, to a terminal point on the Mediterranean Sea that just happened to be Palestine. Now, enter 1917 and the Balfour Declaration, which is always looked to as the original um, uh, accepting uh, British foreign policy statement of a Jewish national home in, in, in Palestine. They recognize that there should be a Jewish national home in Palestine. Well, then you have to ask, was this because uh, Lord Balfour, the foreign secretary who was freaking out about British needs for oil? Well, and that's Lord Balfour. Wasn't it a Rothschild who uh, yeah, yeah. made no, this whole see- thing happen? Yeah, the, 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 the Balfour Declaration was simply a letter written by the British foreign minister to Lord Walter de Rothschild, who is a huge Zen uh, uh, of uh, petroleum. It's one of the biggest families uh, of oil in there. And so, and I was able to find a, a declassified document. Uh, it's the Israelis are finally getting to get some declassified, declassified documents. And it shows that um, one of the great benefits is that there would be a terminal in Palestine and it would be protected by European Jews who they trusted more than they did those brown skinned Muslims. So that gives a security, a national security component. Hence the formation of Israel. There you go. And, and oftentimes, when I, I mention some of these links, and there'll be, be news in the audience, and they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll say, you know, scales dropping from their eyes. They never realized it. Why? Because it's been censored for decades, and it's finally now just coming out. And so I would like to say one thing we're all horrified. If we survive this insane war, you know, possibly, possibly there will be enough of a Uprising worldwide to say enough of this.
0: The people who are responsible for this, they have to finally be touchable. And that's yeah, you and, and that's and that's the thing that has to happen. And also they have to be identified. And the smaller fish, the Bidens of the World, Macron's, Merkel's, they're the middle management. I want to get to another point to discuss how this thing could unfold given certain things. Russia, when they cut off Russia from SWIFT, you know, oh, these tough sanctions we're going to cut Russia off from SWIFT. What people don't realize is that Russia only has like 40% of its reserves in dollars, of its uh, trading reserves in dollars. The rest it has in Chinese yuan and Japanese yen and mm-hmm. then uh, apparently 20% in gold. This is according to this economist, Gavi. He also says that Russia has no internal or external debt. He says, so they're prepared for this war. They can do this war for two years without selling a thing to any nation whatsoever. But meanwhile, of course, they're selling oil gas and oil to uh, the Chinese.
1: Yeah, and okay. the, the chi- China's
0: one. a big factor. <laughs> right now, he's being allowed through the SWIFT sell gas to the Europeans. But what if he decides to turn off that tap? Meanwhile, Biden is frantically going to Venezuela. He's going to <laughs> our, 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 enemy. Our, our enemy. Yes, of course. Meanwhile, he Saudi Arabia is like, oh, yeah, we'll keep the price. Okay. If you uh, help us do our dirty deeds in Yemen. I mean, it's gotten crazy. But here Russia, Russia could hold out for 2 years. He said Europe without Russian uh without the Russian gas, Europe in 2 months it's done.
1: That's interesting. On the other hand, their calculation is uh that Putin uh that the impact of their sanctions on the Russian people are going to finally do Putin. Now, again, there's another side of that. What I just told you
0: well, that's the economic factor. Yeah, but that is the economic factor. Well, so, I mean, if your economy isn't altogether decimated, if, you're, if you have other alternatives for bringing money into the country, then those sanctions, they can only sanction so much. I'm looking at this thing and I'm, I'm thinking, Americans, oh, you better be thinking about not only how this war is, a, is directly murdering all these people in Ukraine, there's a slow kill coming at you too, with these high prices, food prices, gas prices, whatever. That's coming for you too. So you better look to your Mr. Biden, and he's just the middleman, okay, I think, for the bigger, the bigger forces. You better start doing your research to figure out what's what and what's really going on because this is coming for all of us and i i hate to sound so but i'm 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 terrified really i'm terrified
1: you know they just the the news uh today was that chernobyl um is leaking radiation i don't know if that's true
0: listen to what you just said yeah people are desperate to know what's going on. And there's no way CNN, ABC, CBS, are gonna give you a even the truth of what's going on the ground, the entire truth of what's going on on the ground. And they'll give you no historic context whatsoever. So you might as well not even watch it because you it's not gonna help you. It's not gonna tell you what's really going
1: on. No, I, I agree entirely. And um, I think now is the time for alternative media to really flourish because, I mean, truth is always the first casualty of war. They lie on both sides. And so you've got to look for the really genuine, genuine uh, truth seekers. And, you know, you've got to figure out how, how you can uh, determine who's telling the truth. And how do you do that, Charlotte? Well, it's difficult, frankly. I mean, there there should be sort of seminars on it. Uh, But um, like I say, I I found that uh, fairness and accuracy in reporting has done a pretty decent job. And by the way, they they come up with an analysis that is sort of akin to ours, but they cite the mainstream media in some cases, because you can pick out facts from the New York Times. I mean, they'll give you some facts, You got. You got to check them. We as journalists have to cross-check our facts all the time. And by the way, let's not go too easily on Putin because
0: you know he's turned
1: Russia into. It's really tragic. I think all of these leaders—Putin,
0: Biden, Zelensky—all of these leaders. There should be deep investigation. Of all of these people and their and their connections to Davos, the Davos Group, their their connections to banks and so on. Biden. Uh, here we're looking at uh, uh, nobody's remembering uh, uh, Biden and Hunter Biden's uh, involvement, money making schemes
1: in in the Ukraine. Oh yeah, uh, it's finally it's finally coming out. But not in the mainstream media, I must say. I just found an article about Burisma and all of that stuff. And you never know who... It's so murky. It's so unclear.
0: So I have this video um, that I have I have to keep reviewing. But they even had the Morgan... I think it's Morgan Stanley uh, bank deposits for Hunter Biden. Uh, $83,333.33. So that was monthly, okay, for his consulting fees okay so here we have a president who's in charge of um our country and supposed to be in charge of dealing with the these warring factions bringing democracy yeah bringing democracy and so on and so forth and of course when burisma was being investigated uh he made sure that all of a sudden there was a, a a uh a review, an official review of the investigation unit there uh, because apparently there was so much uh, corruption. But basically what they did was they weeded out all these people and put in people who would protect all the the dirty work, okay? This is Biden. And, oh, oh, he cares so much about the uh, Ukrainian people. And, oh, this is terrible. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I, I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. You know, you've, you've ripped off <laughs> the Ukrainian people, you and your son, through these various, and allegedly, okay, let me just put allegedly there. Uh, yes, yes, you must do that. Yes, it's very cynical. It's very cynical and people need to look beyond what you're actually seeing on your TV screens. You have to look at look at these leaders, who are they? What have they done in the past? I, I think it's time that you add an extra layer to your pipeline investigation, and that layer is the investigation of the
1: elite. I look at the elites. Uh, I'm an author of a book on the Rockefellers, if you recall, and uh, and also in my um, <clears throat> Follow the Pipelines, I show that one of the chief architects is a big new Brzezinski, who was national security advisor under uh, Jimmy Carter. But more importantly, he was the chief uh, associate of David Rockefeller, the, the big banker of uh, Chase Manhattan. Uh, that's something that very rarely comes up, but that's who he was. And he he goes on to, to, to write a book called The Grand Chessboard. So he understands the great game. He he understands what has to be done. And uh, I I think it's just um, it's kind of gotten out of Yeah, out but of control. the great the great game is just oh, it, it is, is is
0: the is the tool for it. Brzezinski he formed the trilateral commission, right? With yeah, the, with, with David Rockefeller. Rockefeller. Uh-huh. back back That's in right. the seventies. Now listen to this. Back in the 70s, he was talking about biochemical means of human control to augment the potential of consciously chosen direction and exploiting the latest communications techniques to manipulate emotions and control reason. So he was already into the technocracy takeover scenario. He was already, they were already contemplating that back then. So if yeah. you have this oil war, this energy war, and and it brings down the financial system, up oh, now you can start your central bank digital currency.
1: When they formed the Trilateral Commission, um, which was to involve Europe, Japanese, and Americans initially, uh, the idea was to bring uh, world order. And you, you may have heard a lot of uh, sighing and, and weeping over the, how our world order has been totally broken down. I mean, it's sort of held uh, after World War II, although we don't talk about the devastation of the uh, countries uh, to the south, um, you know, f- fundamentally occupied by brown and black people. We don't, we don't talk about that. We just say there's, there's been order. Uh, since World War Two, and now it's all breaking down. One of the things I remember reading: uh, How can book... you say that you have world order when
0: you have all <laughs> these countries where people are living in practically medieval situations? Yeah, and, well, and of being, course. And being and living like that because you know you're exploiting their resources using your your uh, your proxies, your yeah. super corrupt proxies. You know, yeah. I I'm sorry, that's not order.
1: It's not. It is for them. It's in, it is well, It is for them. Well, it is, but I, yeah. I'm just and saying. and that's what, they, that, that's what they, they wrought upon the world. Uh, you know, there is a term for it, it's finally coming out, but there is a term, they're called the ruling class. I mean, the Brits have never had problems discussing the ruling class. I mean, because they grew up under monarchies and so, and even a movie was made of a, oh no, no, we're not supposed to talk about it that in the United States. And by the way, one thing that irks the hell out of me—they're all looking at the oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs. You know how many American oligarchs are there that are going around in their yachts? And oh. by the way, how about how about Senator Manchin, who is always inviting uh, Congress people onto his yacht? And I, I only learned recently that he was chair of the Senate Committee on Energy. Oh, gee, yeah, but that's all surprising. these people are—all these people are broke compared to the bankers whose names you don't that's know, true.
0: compared to the, uh, you know, the Chatham House people, you know, the the royal family, I think the royal family has been brilliant. I Because here they are colonialists. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And of course, that's how they made their money. That's where their assets are, you know, whatever, you know, who knows where all the, And they have managed to escape any kind of scrutiny about their history and about what they do now, and obviously, their uh, Queen Elizabeth. Who did she? Who did she just personally have a meet and greet with uh, Trudeau, Mister yeah. World Economic, trying to bring in the digital currency into Canada? Okay, and people. They go around Prince William and Kate and the two kids, and oh, she's wearing the cutest outfit, and so on and so uh, forth. It is pixie dust in people's eyes <laughs> because, you know, they're protecting they are the front people for the
1: firm. They are the veil. There's a a book that's just come out uh, that's trying to reveal the sordid story of the real British history. I forgot the name of it. I was going to check it out. But uh, speaking of Trudeau, uh, I found a very interesting quote. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was surprisingly blunt when he characterized the West's efforts to circumvent Russia's role as, quote, a significant source of natural gas and oil for European partners. And one of the things that we were doing, he says, over the past number of weeks, is ensuring that there are alternatives to Russia, not just to make sure that our friends and allies in Europe continue to be able to function their economies and support their people, but to make sure that Putin no longer draws sustenance for his economy. So the to me, the game plan is to bring down Putin. I considered him in my book a very sophisticated player of the great game who beat out... Of the Americas time and again, uh, but this may have been his downfall, but they set a trap for him and uh, <clears throat> it's gonna be his undoing and- Well, uh, what was he gonna do with all those NATO, with all that NATO military <laughs> hardware right there on his doorstep? One of the writers here said like, like say if, if uh, somebody was gonna go, like you're an American, right? But this for, foreign power, uh, keeps pushing on your territory and keeps militarizing. How are you going to feel about it? And well, look. Really- how did the U.S.
0: feel about uh, Cuba putting uh, Russia putting Q- missiles in Cuba?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that almost led to nuclear war. Here's a help, hopeful thought: that um, because this war has shown how how dependent we are on fossil fuels and it's bringing us to near destruction, if not a third world war, if not a nuclear catastrophe, then will it not um, wake people up further to the need for alternative energy sources? I don't know, this is a big test.
0: There was a guy who came out with a car that ran on water, okay? He separated, I guess, the hydrogen from the oxygen, and you know, and uh, oh, that, that didn't see the light of day.
1: And yeah. I oh, that was.
0: He, I don't think he did too well either. He fared too well either. I try to be optimistic. <laughs> Maybe yeah, well, I'm naive. I, I, well, I try and figure out what I'm dealing with first.
1: Yeah, I, I want to know what I, I'm dealing I, with. I keep, keep coming back to this idea because I was a student of the Renaissance. Got my master's degree in Italy <laughs> in art history. Yeah. And and my thesis was about a Medici who turned the whole Florence into actually uh, something that would exalt his power, but through art and architecture. But at any rate, one thing about the Renaissance is that it grew out of the black plague. That is the black, and I, and I would see, when I was there, I would see fres- a fresco I never forgot in one of the churches that showed it, the horrors of the black plague and its impact on society in Italy. And um, it really stuck in my mind. And then I read that that what happened is that it was so horrific that it it forced people to rethink the society they were living in, which at that time was was very much controlled by um, uh, the church religion and, and and you see this moving away from religious representation into more uh, naturalist uh, scientific representation. They understood the perspective and they showed average people and there was this great birth, great flourishing of culture. And um, I'm kind of hoping that's what's gonna come out of this. I just, I, I can't, I think I might just be so depressed if if it were to become what you're saying it might become <laughs> I, i'm i'm
0: i'm trying to point out culprits is what i'm trying to do i'm trying to say here's a culprit here's the yeah
1: well all these that's I'm-
0: people they're culprits i am just i just wish that there was a more that there was more um investigation scrutiny yeah of, it's hard of, though of these elites. Yeah, it, you know, it's not as hard as you think if people were to focus on it, but people aren't. They're focusing on, oh, you know, Biden and, oh, Putin is a this, and, by, you know, they're making cardboard characters out of these people instead of
1: really looking at them. Okay? Yeah, and you know why that is. It's, it's the phenomenon of willful blindness, which is pervasive.
0: Well, that's gotta end because, I mean, you can't be willfully blind to $7 a gallon gas and hundreds of dollars worth of groceries that used to cost you, you know, a hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, you know? well, no, you won't be, you're absolutely right. That's that's gonna be a big wake up call. And then the question is, how is the uh, people's uh, fury going to be challenged? Yes, yes. And that's another scary prospect. So well, we are at a major, this is a major, Historic moment, and um, this and COVID put them together. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep hoping that our better selves emerge out of this, but they may not because the 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 lust for power seems to continue. Well, they are
0: few, and we are many, and while they might consider us just merely ants right now. We could turn into fire ants. That would be yeah. good. <laughs> you wanna end it on that? <laughs> ah, Thanks for coming on Charlotte.